You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Amen. Amen. Look at, look at somebody sitting next to you and say, I was born for this. Say, I was born for this. I was born for this. I was born for this. We're starting a new series this month called Unlikely Heroes, Unlikely Heroes. It's those people who you never thought they would be the ones who'd bring real change. The Bible's full of them. You never thought that that person would be the person that would cause such a ruckus that all of the eyes of the nation was turned on them. So this month, we're going to go through different people in the Bible who we can all relate to. But the, po- the purpose of this is that you can turn a mirror on yourself and realize that the unlikely hero or the hero or the heroine that we are looking for is not just found in the book, but they're living right now, me and you. You know, I don't, I'm one of those people, I like, I like studying history, I like learning history, but I never want to study it, I never want to learn it to such a point that I forget that I have a responsibility to still make it. And this morning, we're going we're gonna to dive into what it means to be an unlikely hero, why you are the hero that, that, you, that you have been looking for, why you are the hero that you have been waiting for. And I pray that, that this, this helps you. Let's pray. Before I, before I pray, um, I don't know if this is a problem, but these, these two speakers are still making, like, a lot of noise. I don't know if y'all can do anything with them. I asked first service, and nothing happened. So maybe this time it will. I hope it does. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for another opportunity I have to be able to minister to your precious people. God, I pray that you allow for me to do what I cannot do in my own flesh, and that is to preach your perfect word. If you do not endow me with such an ability to be able to minister to these people, then every word that comes forth from my mouth shall be born of flesh. But I pray, oh God, that you will anoint my lips this morning, anoint my tongue, anoint every word that comes forth from my mouth to be able to minister something that is impactful, practical practical, applicable to our daily lives, that we're able to take what is taught and we're able to use it. We're able to apply it and ultimately we're able to teach it. And ultimately, God, I pray that you are glorified and you are blessed because of it. I thank you for it. I believe you when it is through and by Jesus' name, I pray. And all is in agreement said? Amen and amen and amen. We're talking about unlikely heroes. It's like usual, if, you, if you've already downloaded our, our church app, uh, you, you know the notes are on there. If, if you have not, you can download it now. Go to the Gathering Oasis Church and, uh, on, on your Android or your smartphone, whatever smartphone you have, and, and you can download the, the Gathering Oasis Church app. It's completely free. Download it. You see the sermon notes. If not, there's a way you can get them on your YouVersion app, on your Bible app. You can get the notes as well. So I pray that you can get them there and you can follow along with me. But this morning... We're talking about unlikely heroes. And the title of this is Born for This. You are born for this. You are born for this. Uncommon problems require uncommon solutions. Things that maybe you have not seen before. Problems that you have, you have not run into before. They require uncommon solutions. I want to submit this to you first and foremost because you will hear me say this throughout this message. That before there was ever a problem, God already thought about a solution. And whenever there is to be a solution, God has a way of birthing a person. 
that he will find somebody to accomplish the task. He will find somebody to do what he has called for, the, for, for him to do. It, it's, it's somebody. He, it's not just something. It's somebody who's attached to this. And I want to show you the importance of why your obedience matters. If the, if the majority of the gospel that you have heard took you to Jesus' death, then you didn't get the full gospel. If the majority of the gospel you heard only took you to Easter, that he rose up again, then you didn't get the full gospel. Because in truth and in actuality and in reality, the gospel goes beyond just the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Come on, I like that. Come on, I'm, I'm all right with that. The gospel goes beyond the full, it, it goes beyond just the resurrection. The gospel now goes into obedience. We come alive that we may now serve. It's a hurting and broken world out there. Our faith is not summed up into checking off a, a Sunday morning service. It's not summed up into you checking off your devotional and, fi and finishing your 15-day devotional on the Bible app. That's not the culmination of our Christian service. Our Christian service is not known by, by, by long skirts. It's not known by, by no makeup on your face. It's not, our Christian service is not, is not known by everything that you would assume it to be. It's not even known by all the laws you think you, you're able to keep. Our Christian service is known by the faith that we have in the one who justifies us. It's known because we truly believe by faith that we have been saved through grace. Because of Jesus Christ, because of his death, because of his burial, because of his resurrection, that now we now have new life, that because we believe in him, the old man has passed away, and behold, all things are new. And how many of you know when there's a new man, there are new things you're called to do? We are justified by Jesus Christ, justified by him. We are not justified by anything else. You're not justified because you tithe. You're not justified because you go to church. You're not, you're not justified because of how you talk. You can sit in a garage, but that won't make you a car. The same way you can sit in church, and that won't make you a Christian. We're not justified because of what we do. We're not justified by how we talk. We're not justified by how we walk. We're justified by the service that we have and the faith that we have it in. But we don't just stop at justification. But how many of you know that after we are born anew, that now it comes a, a path of sanctification, that we must now be sanctified? Sanctification, separated, but that's a process. After you come to the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, everything doesn't change overnight. Things begin to happen, but there's a process that you go through. That's why it is very dangerous for you to try to overload somebody's faith because just because you confessed Jesus Christ yesterday, it does not mean that you are spiritually mature enough to handle everything that God has for you tomorrow. The same way I would not give my child, my, 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 my one-year-old, the same way I won't give him anything that will be too heavy for him right now at one years old is the same way that God won't put more on you because he knows what you are able to bear. He understands your maturity level. He understands that we can ask for things that we are not ready to really handle. We ask to be in things that we're not really able to engage with. But after sanctification comes glorification, and glorification is simple. That means that we, will, we will stand before our Savior, and we will receive a glorified body. New Jerusalem will be our new home. It is not this, 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 this celestial being, this, this thing in the sky that, you know, we're just going to go to. But it's this new Jerusalem. This, everything that we have now will be, will be taken up in the fire, will all be destroyed. New Jerusalem will now come, and now we will have new Jerusalem, and now we will begin to live like we did with Adam and Eve, before the fall of man, before sin. 
glorification, taking up of the glorified body, able then to eat the tree of life. Isn't it something that when you read the book and after they had sinned and after, after, after God realized they sinned and after he realized it then, after they sinned and now death has become now the consequence of sin. And now God says, I'm going to, I'm going to plant, I'm going to, I'm going to put flaming swords around the tree of life because even God knows that it'd be dangerous for us and our sinful being now to eat from a tree that will have us to be sustained in the way in which we eat from it. So we shall take of that tree of life. We shall eat from that tree and we shall be in that state of glorification with him. But our Christian service is about obedience. I actually had somebody to tell me, they said, you know, I feel like you talk about obedience too much. In my opinion, I thought that was one of the dumbest things I heard for in my life. The reason being is because obedience is something that we cannot just skip over. People are looking for fulfillment in life, and they don't realize that fulfillment is found in obedience. That when God tells you to do something, you know, people, people say, I want God to speak. But then when he does, you don't obey. But when God speaks, he expects to be heard. Once heard, he expects to be obeyed. And he expects to be obeyed immediately. Immediately. There's a seriousness to this. Because I am just crazy enough to believe that there is somebody or somebody's a nation that is attached to each and every one of your obedience. This morning, we're going to deal with Esther. We're going to talk about Esther. Now, here's a very short synopsis of, of, of Queen Esther. This was a Jewish woman. Her, 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 her parents had died. She was then raised by her family members. She was raised by Mordecai. And, and King Xerxes, he wanted his wife to come out and be paraded out and, and, and show off and showcase her beauty. And, and King Xerxes' wife said, no, I ain't going out there. I'm not doing it. So he divorced her. Boom. You out. Held a big pageant, beauty show. Here comes Esther. He notices how beautiful she is. He marries her. Mordecai tells Esther, do not tell him that you are a Jew. That can be a problem. Don't tell him that. So Esther keeps that to herself. Mordecai overhears two of the king's generals plotting to, to, to assassinate him. So Mordecai sends the message to the king that these two men are going to assassinate him. So the king has those two men hanged. He had them killed. So now the king has a debt to pay towards Mordecai. But the second in command, the second in command to King Xerxes is an evil man. He finds out what Mordecai does, and he says, not only do I want to just kill the Jew, but I want to come up with a way to kill all the Jews. So he convinces King Xerxes to now get rid of all of the Jews. So King Xerxes sets a date where all the Jewish people will be massacred. He sets this date. Mordecai hears this. He knows about this. And now Mordecai, he sends word to the queen, who is also a Jew, but her husband doesn't know it. We look here in Esther chapter 4, look at it, verse 10. It says, Hathak came back and told Esther everything Mordecai had said. Esther talked it over with Hathak and then sent him back to Mordecai with this message. Listen to the message she sent. She said, everyone who works for the king here, and even the people out in the provinces, knows that there is a single fate for every man or woman who approaches the king without being invited death. She basically tells Mordecai, I would go, but he's going to kill me because he didn't invite me. The one exception is if the king extends his gold scepter that he or she may live. 
She said, it's been 30 days now since I've been invited to come to the king. I hear what you're saying, Mordecai. The Jews will be killed. I know about this. I've heard about this. But Mordecai, what you're telling me to do is to sacrifice my own comfort for somebody else. I don't know if I can do that. I understand what you want me to do, but, 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 but you have to understand my point in this. My point in this, if I do that, then I could die. And right now, my life, in my opinion, because I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm about me, my life right now is more important than, than theirs. This is about me now. I want you to understand, this is about me, Mordecai. It says, when Hathik told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai sent her this message. Peep this message Mordecai sent. Don't think that just because you live in the king's house, that right there is enough. Don't think that just because you live in the king's house, don't think that just because you got the degree, don't think just because you got to the place where you thought you were going to get to, don't think just because you got the money, don't think just because you, you finally got the job you wanted, don't think that just because you got there that somehow it will exempt you from the assignment. Don't think. Don't think. Don't think for a second that just because you got there, that you were exempt. And he goes further. He says, don't think just for a second. Don't, don't think that, uh, that you live in a king's house. You're the one Jew who will get out of this alive. Don't think for a second that just because you're there, that he won't kill you too. If you persist in staying silent at a time like this, help and deliverance will arrive for the Jews from someplace else. I love that because that lets me know this, that God's will is going to be done whether you do it or not. (laughs) The thing is that God is just going to find somebody else to do it. You just won't be the one to do it. Then he goes further and he says, but you and your family will be wiped out. Don't think for a second that just because you're there that you're going to be the one Jew who stays. Don't think for a second that just because you're there that you're just the one Jew who can do it. God's going to find somebody to do it because God's will is going to be done regardless. And I'm trying to tell you that whenever there is a problem, God is going to always birth a person. You just have to make the decision and take upon your own free will to understand and take all the responsibility to ask yourself and answer for yourself if you're the person for the job. Are you the person for the job? He says, who knows? Maybe, just maybe, maybe, just maybe, maybe you were made queen for such a time as this. Before I go there, I'm going to do Esther sent back her answer to Mordecai. Go and get all the Jews living in Susa together. Fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, either, either day or night. I and my maids will fast with you. He says, if you will do this, go to the king, even though it's forbidden. If I die, I die. Mordecai left and carried out Esther's instructions. Mordecai hit her with, with, with woo. Like, that's a, that's a heavy question. What if, Esther, what if you were born for such a time as this? What if, what, what, what if, what if everything you went through in your life was preparing you for this. You grew up without parents. Your parents, your parents are dead. You grew up without parents. Beautiful woman. Now you get married to the king. Everything that you've gone through, Esther, 
Could it possibly be that it was all a setup for something greater? Could it be that you were born for this? Could it be that you were born for this moment? You know, we look at this and we look at our own lives and a lot of times the reason why we don't, we don't really understand the heaviness of being born for this is because we look, we look at the journey that we've been through and we look at it and we take our insecurities and we disqualify ourselves from realizing that maybe, maybe everything that I've gone through was just a whole reason for me to be born for this. Maybe this was all a setup for something greater. But you know how we do. You know, I hear what you're saying, Pastor, but, 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 only, but only if. If, you know, you know, Pastor, you know, I, I wish, you know, I, I, was, I was probably a little bit smarter. I wish I didn't have a speech impediment or I wish I would have went and got that degree or, you know, I, I wish I, wish, I, wish I would have went back and got the other degree or, you know, I wish I was born to, to a wealthy family or I wish I was born in the city or I wish I had this or I wish I was that, you know, I wish I was a little bit taller I wish I was a baller. I wish I had a girl who looked good. I would call. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish I had all of this stuff because in comparison to my life, when I look at everybody else who seems as though they're doing something, for some reason, God, I don't feel like I add up. So you got to help me to understand. I wish, maybe God, I wish, I wish, maybe, maybe, this, maybe I'm not the one you're looking for. I hear what you need. I hear what's going to happen. But maybe it's not me. Maybe I'm better off just being silent. Maybe I'm better off doing nothing. Maybe I'm better off just kind of living in my own little world, doing my own little thing, not doing it, not bothering anybody, not hurting anybody, not getting into anything. Maybe, 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 maybe I'm good for this. Maybe. Because, God, I have a lot of wishes that if I had all these things. Every, every person in this room has that, has that one or two things that you're like, God, if I didn't have this, I'd be able to really do more. Every person in this room has a thorn. If I didn't have this, if I, if I didn't have this thing that was bothering me, maybe I'd be able to do more. God, if, if, I, if I didn't have anxiety so bad, maybe I'd be able to do it. God, God maybe, maybe if I wasn't so insecure about the way I look, maybe I'd be able to do this. God, maybe, maybe if, I didn't have, if I didn't have these things going on, maybe if I didn't, I didn't seek after approval of people for so much, then God, maybe I'd be able to do this. But, but God says, look, I long saw a problem, and I gave birth to a person. Who could help to identify with the problem? This was a Jewish woman who gained favor to be the queen. And Mordecai says, listen, you're there for a reason. Maybe you were born for this. There's a reason why you weren't born in the 20s. There's a reason why you weren't born in the 50s. There's a reason why you were born in this age. There's a reason why you're alive how you're alive. There's a reason why God has given you life at the time he gave you life. There's a reason because every problem, God will birth a person. That's why he gives you potential. You don't give gifts to people and expect for them not to use them. He gave you a gift of giving for a reason, so you can use it. He gave you a gift of, 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 of teaching or administration. He gave you a gift for a reason, 
you not using the gift is not on him. He gave it to you. He just wants you to be able to use it so that ultimately after continuous use, you learn to perfect the very thing that he gave you. But isn't it hard? I've learned over the years the toughest person to lead is yourself. It's hard to tell yourself to get out of bed. You know, it's so easy to tell other people don't procrastinate. But I tell you what, man. It's easy to tell other people don't have an attitude. But you, you let something happen to you. It, it's easy. It's easy to tell other people just pray about it. But then you curse somebody else about it. It's easier to lead other people than it is to give yourself advice. It's easier. It's, it's, a, it's a whole lot. It's a whole lot easier to preach to you than it is to live it. It's a lot easier. Oh, that's a, that's a lot easier. Preaching is easy. Living it, that's the difficult part. But maybe, 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 maybe God wants somebody else to do this. Now, when, whenever somebody comes to me and they say, I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to be doing, I think the answer is relatively simple. Look at the problems around you. A problem is an invitation to action. Yeah. The very fact that you see the problem in the way that you see it is not an invitation for criticism. I see more people who criticize problems than they do act on them. I have people come to me and they say, you know what, I, am, I believe that I, I, I am gifted to lay on hands and to heal the sick and to watch them recover. Pastor, what do you think about that in Scripture? Why do you care what I think? If you believe you got the gift, you pass by five hospitals to come to me. If you think you're gifted and anointed to do it, I know a lot of sick people. Go help them. And one guy who told me, he said, I believe I have, I believe that I have the, I believe I'm anointed to go and raise the dead. I said, well, go to the morgue. We don't have to debate theology. If you, if, if, hey, go. Prove it. Go to the morgue and y'all have a party in that thing. Like everybody just getting out. <laughs> Could you imagine that? Like, oh, he is really gifted in that. Everybody want him at his funeral. Like, you come to grandma's funeral, please. <laughs> I get it, though, and I, I, see, I see why people do that. Because I get people come to me and they say, you know what, Pastor, how do you go into ministry? You don't go into ministry. Ministry goes into you. See, ministry is not a ditch. Ministry is not a hole. Ministry is not a barrel that you climb into. It's not something you, like, get into and then you, like, climb out of. This is like love. Like, I fell out of love. No, love is not something you climb out of. It's not a ditch. It's not a hole. It's not, you don't climb out of love. You grow out of it. Because you love what you stay around the most. And you love what you communicate with often. That's why God wants you to be in constant communication with him. Because, communi uh, because communication helps to build intimacy. Come into me to see. So I know you because I have talked to you. I'm able to communicate with you. That's why communication builds intimacy. So, so, so you know, an emotional adultery, emotional type of situations that we communicate one with another. And we're sharing each other's heart. That's intimacy. The lowest form of intimacy is sex. Anybody can just get on somebody and puff and blow for, for however long and finish up. and be like, whew, I'm done. I'm leaving. That's the lowest form of intimacy. Sex is like the lowest form. You want to really be intimate with somebody and make it explosive, you communicate with them, and now you get into their heart, into their mind. You can't get out of their mind, and that's what people tell me. I got a soul tie. No, you're just emotionally involved. You got, you got involved in communication. You got something from somebody that you didn't get from somebody else. It's an emotional connection. Now, now in, 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 this, in, this, in, this, in, in this same way, in the same way, I, I want to show you 
that, that in, in, in ministry, ministry goes in you. See, you don't have to, you don't need a classroom or a professor to teach you about ministry. Because once it gets in you enough, you're going to have to go do something about it. Are you so burdened with what you complain about that it keeps you up at night? If you're not, keep living. You ain't ready yet. Does it keep you up at night? Do you dream about it? Do you have visions about it? Do you drive down the street and you cannot help but thinking about it? Oh, I got a, God gave, put up such a passion in me to have a ministry for women. But, 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 you're, but, but you, you drive by 10 women that you don't talk to just so you can get on Facebook to try to talk to. So do you have a, do you have a, do you have a, do you have a passion for a ministry or do all you have is just a logo and an ego? And that's what's wrong with the church today. If we put aside our logos and our egos long enough, we may be able to do something together. When true ministry goes in you, then you don't need somebody in order to stand over you to tell you are you doing it. Are you reading the word today? Did you go file a nonprofit? Did you do this today? Did you do No, it's like ministry is in me. I can't stay still from this. If you say, I have a ministry in me to preach, didn't nobody have to sit around, to sit around and tell you, well, this is how you're going to preach. I didn't have to ask somebody how to put together a sermon. I just asked myself, I, I put down questions, and I answer my questions. Most of the time you see my notes, you see a lot of questions. I just have questions, and I just go through the Bible to answer them. Because I know the same questions I have are questions that you have. Because you don't, you don't need somebody in order to tell you how to go into something. When it gets in you, it comes out of you. Because I'm going to tell you this, and it's true for anything you do, you're going to always operate out of what you're full of. So if you're full of a bunch of stuff, <laughs> we're going to see it come out of you. If that's all you talk about is just a bunch of mess. We, we know, I know what you're full of. Just sit there and nod like, oh, you ain't full of nothing. I'll tell you what. Well, praise the Lord. Well, I got to go. What's in you? Has ministry gotten in you yet? Have you, have you asked God, God, what is the burden on my heart? What is the problem that you see that you just cannot let go of? Hey, pastor, I believe that God's telling me to, to plant a church, and I'm just trying to figure out how to do it. Hey, when we, when we started this church, man, Heather and I, we started this church with an American Express card in faith. Legit, that's all we had is an American Express card in faith. That's it. We're reaching out to people. Hey, could you help us? Hey, you mind helping us? You mind helping us? You mind helping us? Reaching out. I'll take this pastor to lunch. Could you tell me, you know, how you're doing this? You tell me how you're doing that? And it, I, I don't have time to meet with you. Get with my assistant. I don't have time to meet with you. I can't do this. And I was like, you know what? I, I don't know what else to do. And I'll never forget. I was like, you know, I'm going to quit complaining about all the people who, who, who won't help me. And I'm just going to get, I'm going to get before God and say, okay, God, what did you want me to do? Holy Spirit, if you're, if you're a great teacher, then I'm not going to go away from your leading and your guidance just so I can get everybody else's. I'm going to just learn from you. I went and got all the information I could from the people who would help me. But I, just get, I got to the point to say, I'm so full of this that I can't hold this much longer. I can't hold it. And you got to get to that point. You know, there, there, there's, a, there's a holy disposition that all of us should have as believers. A holy disposition. There's a righteous disposition. But if you call yourself saved, this is our disposition. The first is upward, inward, and outward. Let me explain it. Our upward disposition is that we see the holiness of God. We see him for who he is. 
Because he is holy, we worship him. Because he is holy, we love him. Because he is holy, we honor him. We revere him. He is great. He is majestic. He is everything that, that we desire to be. And because we see that, we see his grace. We see his mercy. We see his love. We see his gentleness. We see everything that he is. That is our upward expression. We see our upward disposition. We see him for who he is. And then we see our inward disposition. Our inward disposition is that we see our own filthiness. See, a prideful man, a prideful woman doesn't need a savior because you don't feel like you need to be saved from anything. What a bunch of prideful people. They argue, over, they argue over information. You're prideful. You think you know everything. I didn't get saved by information. I got saved by experience. I'm not going to argue with you about your information. I don't want to read your book that was written by somebody else who's prideful. I don't want to. I'm not going to. And you can't, you can't go hurt me to do it just because I'm a pastor and you feel like I should do everything you tell me to do. A prideful person doesn't feel like they need it. That's why you have to have the right inward disposition. Now, it's going to be wrong if you have a bad inward disposition and your inward disposition, your inward disposition is so all you see is just your own filthiness and all you see, all you see is just everything that's going on in you. You see your filthiness, but then you don't see his holiness. When you, when you see that, now you have, you have a bad view of God and you see God as somebody who's beating you down and whipping you and every time you do something wrong, he's mad at you and he hates you and he wants nothing else to do with you. So you, you gotta have the right disposition. You gotta see God as the loving father that he is, that he cares, he's concerned about you and that he, he, he wants the best for you and that he has grace and mercy that's available for you. That's how you have to see him. So when you see your own filthiness, you don't see it as though he's throwing you away, but rather that he's bringing you closer. But then it doesn't stop there because the gospel doesn't stop there. There's an outward disposition. There's an outward disposition. The outward disposition says, okay, I see who my God is. I see who I am. Oh, God. I see who these people are. And I realize that I'm only one Jesus away from them. I can't look down on them because I'm one Jesus. I'm one, I'm one decision. I am one confession. That's, that's, that's my only difference. I can't look down on them. I know what the judgment is. I was a part of it. I was headed towards it. And the only thing that separates me from them is that I have an answer and they don't. And now God, God released me to go give them that answer. That's when ministry gets inside of you because you see them for who they are and you don't look down on them. You don't see them as somebody you just preach to or you preach at. When somebody says, I'll walk with you. Come on. I'll walk with you. I'll love you through this. I'll guide you through this. No, I get it. I get it. Come on, you got to get back up. It's a process of sanctification. Nope, nope, God's not mad at you. Nope, God, does, nope, God, nope, God, nah, God does not hate you. You can't be angry at God. I know that's what you went through, but that's not, that's not, but you, but you have to understand, no, you can't blame that on God. You, did God get in the bed for you? Who got in the bed? You got in the bed. Okay, then, it happened. But your child is not a mistake. Your baby is not a mistake. Could it possibly be that that child was born for such a time as this? Just because you don't feel like the baby came the right way does not mean that God cannot reverse a situation. Can I, can you, can I talk to you this morning? 
that God has a bigger plan than what you ever thought of. And if you can just look beyond yourself for just a moment, and you can just see that I have an outward disposition to see that God has more for you than for you to just feel like you're blessed because you know him, we would get so much further and so much faster in this world. I look out at the church today and I think we have, we have more technology than we ever had. I wonder what the apostles could have done with everything that we have today. We're able to get sermons. I mean, you can, you, can, you can watch sermons all day long in the easiest way. You can watch them on your phone. You can watch them on television. You can watch them. You listen to them in your car. You got podcasts. You have, uh, you have radio. You have, we have every single way we can, get the, we can get the news out to people. And it seems as if we're, we're moving further back than we are ahead. And could it be that we're trying to replace technology? We're trying to send technology in places that God told us to go to. Because we feel like, we feel like activism is just us, us tweeting about it. Why didn't you say anything about it? Because I was busy talking to somebody else about it. Because I was talking about sending stuff. You, you, you think activism has to be a picture. It has to be a post. But what if, what, is, what if God is sending you there? What if he's sending you? What if he's sending you to Somalia? What if? What if he's sending you to Iran? That ain't me, God. Can't be me. What if he's sending you to downtown Atlanta? What if he's sending you to L.A.? What if he's sending you to a place that you don't want to go to? Do you just sit and talk about it? But then here's the thing. We pray and we say, God, I want to hear your voice. God, I want to hear you. God, I want you to talk to me. But then when he does, we ignore him. We like, God, I hear what you say, but I can't do that. I can't do that. God, do you know my, you know my financial situation? God, do you understand what's going on in my life? God, you understand what's going on over here? God, do you understand this? You understand that? And could you, could, I, I, let, me, let me break this down for, for some of you. The reason why a lot of us find, find ourselves in a lot of mess we find ourselves in today it's because we've gotten too comfortable and, and the comfort has made us bored. And now, you find, and now you, you're using sin to be recreational. Like some people don't even date because they really want to be married. Some people date because it's fun. Dating has become recreational for people because you can get a free, a free meal out of it. Well, sometimes it's not free because sometimes you give up something else for it. But you understand what I'm saying. I mean, y'all get it. I mean, I can say that. The STD rate in Atlanta is like, phew, so I mean, somebody's doing it. And obviously... It's not just a couple of us. I mean, it's a. But what is it? What is the problem that God is showing you? What is the thing that God said? That's it. That's it right there. Do you see it? But you say, God, I can't do it because. I don't want to be uncomfortable. But God says, no, I want you to do it in your discomfort. Why, God? Because your comfort is going to kill your creativity. I need for you to do it in a space where you can be creative. And I need for you to do this. I know sometimes you got to burn the candle at both ends. Work your job is unto the Lord over here. But then when you get off your job, work work what God is telling you to work on this side. And then when this side begins to outweigh this side, then blow this one out. And then realize that you're doing that not so you can be impressed, so you can be impressive with the world. You're doing that because somebody else is tied to it. But there, 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 there are three different people who are who are who are who are in this room. Three different responses to the call. The first one is a Moses. Moses. 
Moses, I want you to lead the people. Here I am, God, but send Aaron. This is the person you are present. You're present. You're capable. You got everything it takes in order for you to do it. But you still want him to send somebody else. Because somebody else, like, they can do the job better than you can. I mean, God, have you seen them? They are really smart. You're the words they say. I sit down with some preachers. I'm just like, I got to get a dictionary to talk to y'all. Like, I'd be stuttering over stuff, and my words be all over the place. And they'd be, like, pronouncing Jewish names, and I'd be like, Hagger. I'm from the South. I don't know. Elijah and Elisha. They're like, no, it's Elisha. I'm like, Elisha, Elisha. I don't know. Abraham. <laughs> it's Abram. I don't know. Abraham. I, I know Abraham. I'm saying ham. Ham is a, is a, is a meat. And I say ham, Abram, Abraham. Ab- just run it all together. You get it. You get the name. And I get around some people, and I'm like, God, are you sure you want me to do this? Like, I'm like the least qualified person out there. Like, ah, I'm really not the one for the job. This ain't me. Like, I, I sometimes I even go back and forth to God. Like, are you confident you still want me to do this? Because at any point in time, you can snag this thing and you can let me know. I'm good. I'm good. You can let me know. It won't hurt my feelings one bit. Not at all. And I have to realize, okay, not about you. Not about you. Just got to keep showing up. Just keep showing up. Keep showing up. He'll help you. He'll help you once you get there. But you got the Moses. The Moses say, here I am, Lord, but sit in Aaron. But then you have the Jonas. Oh, the Jonas. Have we all been a Jonah? Oh, the Jonas says, here I am, Lord, but I ain't wrong. Jonah's like, no, I'm not going to do it. Well, you want me to go? Then I'm going to do that. I'm going to Tarshish. I'm going the exact opposite direction. It's not even like I'm going to just talk. I'm going to be like partially obedient. Maybe some of you was like, okay, I'll go to Nineveh like I halfway there and be like, mm, I'll just park right here. He went the opposite way. That's what I mean of us do. Just complete disobedience. We're just going in the opposite direction. You went and you got the degree to make people happy. God never told you to do it. You did it just so you can please somebody else. But here's the craziest thing. When you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, none of those people will be up there standing with you. And you won't be able to say, but they told me. Where they at? But they convinced me. Where'd they go? But they, Lord, but they depart from me, work of iniquity. How was I work of iniquity? I serve you. I gave to you. I, I prophesied in your name. I didn't know you. You didn't know me. It's like you put on a uniform and you try to act like you had power. I didn't know you. Jonah, here I am, Lord, but send somebody else. But then we have some Isaiahs out there, some Isaiahs who say, you know what, Lord? You know what, Lord? Here I am. Send me. I'll go. The Isaiahs and the Esthers of the world. Esther says, I'm going to do it. And then she gets real gangster with it. Esther said, if I die, I die. Like, that's pretty, that's pretty hardcore. That's really gangster. Like, if I die, I die. Like, what? What? I'm going to do it. I'm going to tell him. I have, I have one decree. My decree is save the Jewish people. Please don't kill me. <laughs> You're you not going to kill them? Okay, bet. We, Mordecai, we won. We got it. Like, you know 
how, how much sacrifice that takes. Because you realize that your one act of obedience helped to save a nation of people. Like, could you fathom that? Your one act of obedience saved a nation of people. There's a, um, there's a, there's a story. Um, I heard about it, this missionary. So this missionary, he went to, um, he went to Africa and he was married. He and his wife went there and they were staying in this, in this, in this small hut. And they went to this village, this village that had been unchurched. They had not heard the gospel before. And there was a big language barrier, but the village did not want foreigners in their village. So they were staying in a hut that was like, it was close enough for them to get to, but it was far enough for them to be away. Because the villagers did not want them. They didn't want anybody to come into their village. So this man, he, he's there with his wife, and, and they, they conceived two kids. Along the way, they just kept getting sick, like, the wife would have malaria. The dad would, would, would go through this. And they kept going through all these things. And finally, his youngest son died of malaria. His daughter would, would get deathly ill. His wife would get deathly ill. And he's, they've been there for years. And they've been there for years. And he's been trying to get into the village, and they just won't let him. So pretty soon, there's this, there's this, little, this little boy, this little African boy. He comes inside of the, of the hut, and he would just sit down. And the guy was standing there, and he would, he would preach to the boy. And he would do that over and over again. And finally, a couple of years back, well, it was a year and some passed. And he was just preaching to this little boy. And he went in his prayer closet. The preacher did went in his prayer closet. And he shook his fist towards God and said, God, this is what you brought me here for? To preach to one boy? Look at this. I mean, I'm, I'm preaching. I don't even know if he even knows what I'm saying because he just nods at me. I don't even know if he knows my language. He just comes, listens to me, and he goes back to his village. I don't even know. He didn't even know what I'm talking about. He's mad at God. He's upset. He's angry at God because what he thought was going to happen was not materializing. He decided he was going to leave the village, and he left. He and his wife and his daughter, they left, and they, they moved back. And when they got back, he had got into alcoholism, gotten very violent, being angry at God. That, that root of bitterness, it, it brings a lot out of you. He started getting really violent towards his wife and towards his family. They got a divorce. Wife and daughter moved away. He turned into a drunk, living inside of some old little shack. Didn't want to come out. Didn't want to have anything to do with church. Didn't want to have anything to do with people. Didn't want anything to do with the Bible. Want nothing to do with God. He had a friend who would come and check on him every now and then to make sure he's okay. Are you okay? Are you fine? Are you okay? Found his friend came to him one day and he said, hey, I want you to come to this meeting. They're having a meeting right down the street. I want you to come. They got a preacher that's down here and I think he's going to be dynamic. He's going to be great. And, um, and, and when, he, when, he, when, when, when his friend told him that, he looked at his friend and he said, I don't, I don't want to go. I don't want to go to some camp meeting. I want to go hear some preacher. He said, who's the preacher anyway? He said, I don't know. I said, it's, it's, some, it's some like, I don't know. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a young, it's a young man. It's, a, it's an African guy. He came all the way from Africa. I don't know who he is, but he's drawn a large crowd. He's been, he's been here for a couple of days, and he's been preaching up a storm. He's very passionate. I think you should hear him. And the guy said, all right, I'll go. 
Reluctantly, he went. He sat in the back, his arms crossed. And every, he's looking on the, the man on the stage, and he, he's squinting. He's like, I, I know his face from somewhere. I know his face. And who, who, I, who is this guy? I know his guy. And he looks over at his friend. He says, you know anything about this guy? He says, the only thing I know is that, you know, he comes over from Africa, comes from this little bitty small village, and, and but we brought him over here, and he's been preaching up a storm. And he's just amazing what he does. And, and we, we don't know much about him and, you know, stuff like that. So the guy says, I want to meet him afterwards. So after, after, after the benediction, after the altar call, they, 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 went, they went to the back and the young man, the young preacher came and he saw the man walking and went up and embraced him, gave him a big hug. And he said, do you remember me? The man said, you look familiar to me. Who are you? He said, I was the little boy that you used to preach to. He said, hey, my entire village is getting saved. He said, revival is coming to my, 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 my whole country. He said, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. I'm, 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 that, I'm that little boy. And, and, and the, 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 the preacher broke down. Broke down in tears, repenting before God. God, I'm sorry. I've been angry at you because I was comparing my one with somebody else's thousand. And I thought that maybe because it didn't seem like I had as much as somebody else, that maybe I was not as effective. But now I see it, God. I was uncomfortable and I sacrificed my life to be in a place so I can preach to one little boy that's now responsible for bringing revival to his entire village. And it really, it really began to show that heaven does rejoice at the one. The 99 is great, but it's something about reaching the one that even, even if you preach to just one person, even if you just spent the rest of your life discipling one other person, even if you spent the rest of your life discipling one other person, that person could go and reach millions. You don't, you don't really hear about the people who impact the person who impacts others. You don't hear about the person who impacted Billy Graham. You hear about Billy Graham impacted all these people. But who impacted Billy? You don't hear about the person who impacted the person who impacts millions. All you hear is about the person who impacts the millions. But can I tell you something? The obedience of reaching one can change a nation. That man thought he had failed. But he failed to realize that God sent him there for one. He lost a son in the process. But if I die, I die. I die. I just, I believe that you're born for this. And I believe that way too many of us believers, we live way below our potential. You're searching for fulfillment in life, and I'm going to tell you, you're not going to get it in the money. I sit down and I counsel people who are multimillionaires and they're strung out on drugs. That's because money won't make you happy. It'll pay your bills, but it won't bring you joy. Or people who live in million-dollar houses, and it's empty. They don't have anybody to share it with, no relationship. They don't trust anybody. The whole, the whole side of the hall is black, dark. And what? Is that the fulfillment of life? You want to be fulfilled in life? Let God set you on fire. Let him put you on a journey that you won't be able to contain. You want God to set you on fire? Then go and sit down with him. Commune with him. Get serious about this. See, the reason why I'm so passionate about this is because I don't believe that our Christian faith is summed up in a church service. 
I didn't get saved for this. I didn't get saved for a cool Christian club. I didn't get saved. I didn't get saved to suck up with, 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 with Christians who don't like me anyway. I didn't get saved for that. I didn't get saved for this. I didn't get saved to be popular with anybody. I don't want it. Don't care anything about it. I didn't get saved for this. I got saved because I saw God for who he was. I saw myself for who I am. But ultimately, I saw people for who they were. That's the reason why this church got started. Back in 2009, I saw a vision. I was walking up this, this big sand dune, like a sand mountain, and I'm going up the top of it, and I see this oasis down at the bottom. And I was running down. I started rolling down. I was, I was weak. I was hungry. I was thirsty. And I get there, vegetation, fruits and vegetables all the way around it. It was so beautiful. It was amazing. All the food I saw and the water just looked so plush. It looked so great. And I just started drinking. I started drinking. And as I got filled up, I saw this woman, this little Asian lady. I saw her. She's walking. I remember her face now. This little Asian lady, she's walking down. And she's walking down. She, she's really weak. She's really weak. And I see her coming. And I run over there. I say, come on, come on, come get something. And she, she kneels down and she gets it and she gets what she needs. And then, and then I see some other people and they're coming. I see they're coming and they're, they're reaching down to get what they need. I see other people, they're coming, they reach down to get what they need. And then we're all sitting there, we're all gathering and growing. We're gathering and we're growing. We're gathering and we're growing. We're gathering and we're growing. And then God said, I heard the voice clear as day. He says, he says, now you got to go and make a difference. I remember thinking, where are we going to go? It's dead out there. It's dry out there. We can die if we leave from here. Why would I leave this place of comfort to go back out there? And then I realized it. The only people who came to the oasis were the people who were strong enough to come by themselves. What if there were some who were on their way, but they were too tired and they fainted? They need somebody to go carry them to help them come. Those are some of the people who are your coworkers, some of your employees, some people in your own household, putting them in the car, just bringing them. I thought about the person who was sitting out there who didn't realize that the oasis was there and I thought, I gotta go tell them about it. What if they reject you? Well, if I die, I die. What if they kill you for it? Well, if I die, I die. But I can't be the only one that goes out. I gotta tell other people, hey, we come here to grow. We come here to gather, but we gotta go because there's a hurting and dying world out there. That's why this is our huddle. Service for us does not begin when we start singing or we start praying in the beginning. Service for us begins when we dismiss because that's when we leave the place of our comfort after we've been filled up to go back out to a hurting and dying world and we say, I have an answer. I have something you need. I got something that'll set you free. The stuff you've been trying ain't gonna do it. I got something that'll set you free. You think you're addicted to sex and pornography. No, what you're addicted to is acceptance and affirmation. You want somebody to love you. You want somebody to appreciate you. And pornography only fills you up for a few minutes. And after it's done with you, it throws you away. It fills you with guilt and shame. You've been trying to, you've been trying to, to shake off the demon of pornography. What you don't realize is that you need acceptance. You need affirmation. And that's going to only come through Jesus Christ. You think that not touching yourself is going is to do the job. I hate to break it to you, but your body has feelings. And it's going to come alive whether it wants to or not. Whether you wanted it to or not. Your problem is that you want something that is deeper. And the world can't give it to you. They can't give it to you. 